0: here and uh, join me. Nick is with uh, World Vision, and uh, he was here a few months ago. You guys remember Nick? You want to say hi to him as he's coming up? Yeah. So Nick was here a few months ago and and shared all about the Chosen Sunday, which we uh, helped uh, new people make connections with kids overseas. My family were able to adopt uh, a kid overseas that we can uh, financially help them and get to know them. It's not really adoption. Maybe that's the wrong word, but sponsoring. And uh, so we got involved at the Chosen Sunday. Nick's here again to tell us about Team World Vision. Um, and what is uh, before we get into that, though, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, worry this morning. And so part of Team World Vision is, Nick, you, you run, right? And
1: I, I guess you can say that, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I tried to get, move my feet a little bit out there.
0: Yeah, and, and so uh, as you thought about that first run, how, how long was that first run you did with Team World Vision?
1: So The first one I did was a half marathon in 2018. How long was a half marathon? Uh, thirteen point one,
0: I believe. Yeah. Feet or what are we talking miles. about? <laughs> <laughs> miles. <laughs> miles. Okay, thirteen miles. Thirteen
1: so <laughs> point one. But that one. That point one matters. One matters, yeah, matters
0: okay. yeah. All right. So, so that first half marathon, how did you feel? What what were you worried about or anxious about when it came to that first run you were going to do?
1: Well, some of you know my story a little bit, but you know this. You know, I took on this job, and part of that job was actually helping to coordinate, run these marathons. But I knew at some point I would have to do that, mm-hmm. and so uh, I told my wife, "I think they got the wrong person." Because honestly, like I don't run, and I don't. That's not what I do. And I told you guys, I don't do public speaking. Is not what I do. So all this, all this was all new to me, and I remember thinking to myself, "I think they have the wrong person." Because if they knew who Nick Maroki was, they would say he he doesn't run. Uh, but I realized, and you know, that a lot of that came down to fear Mm -hmm. and fear and doubt. And that was what was driving me from saying yes to doing this thing. And once I realized that, I realized, okay, I guess I have to consider doing this now because I just had to step through this fear.
0: Mm. So, so as you move through that, how did you, how did you deal with that fear? What helped you process that and and move forward so you could still run those 13.1 miles? They're
1: point 0.1, you got it. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, for me, I, I started going out there and running, right? I, I try to go out there and run my fastest mile, right? And that's not how you do it, because you know what happens? You get hurt, you have to call your wife to come pick you up <laughs> halfway <laughs> down that first mile, you know? So a little bit trial and error, right? And so for me, uh, I started realizing there's a training plan, so maybe I should do the training plan. Uh, and that's where I think God was saying, yeah, that's do the training plan, Nick. That's how it works. Uh, and the deal we kind of, I feel like, was made was, hey, you, you, you be obedient. You step through fear, right? Do the work, you know, and I will meet you there. And I'm going to carry you through that finish line. Uh, and really, so that's how I got to finish my first half marathon. Then I went on to do a full marathon. Uh, a lot of that was just built into with a lot of fear and doubt, but just trusting that God uh, was going to meet me there.
0: Full marathon. So 26.2 I'm learning this morning so uh, we're gonna talk about this idea of training some more this morning training for trust Um, but but Nick is here to encourage us around uh, team world vision so Nick what what, tell us a little bit about team world vision and what that's all about
1: yeah so we'd love to invite you all to actually consider joining us for the Kansas City half or um, full marathon now, I know I have lost half of you with the word marathon, okay? But just hold on a second, right? Because remember when I told you guys a couple weeks ago I was born in Kenya, but I don't run like a Kenyan, right? <laughs> I don't. Trust me. It, we have a great couch to um, finish line plan is what we call 18-week training plan that helps you get to that finish line. And the reason we do it, though, is because we know right now that the lack of access to clean water is actually one of the most leading causes of death on the planet. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these kids in these areas don't get to the age of five. Uh, you guys some of you met my, my three r- little girls all right my oldest is six so it kind of breaks my heart when I think that that could be her life every day waking up on average they walk about six kilometers a day and this responsibility falls on to these young girls and they're put in vulnerable situations it's very really difficult for them to do it every day they don't get to go to school uh, they, the lack of he- health care access is, is also a big issue there and right now with the pandemic it's even worse mm. uh, and so we say yes to moving our feet uh, and again I I, I got a great training plan. Don't worry. All right? Uh, all you have to do is meet us in front of the church here for a couple of minutes after church. If you're at home watching, you can just text in uh, the word Hillcrest to 44888. And I think they're going to throw a slide up there, but Hillcrest to 44888. That doesn't, com- that doesn't mean you're joining. It just means you're interested. And coming to the info session after church doesn't mean you're joining the team. It just means you want to hear a little bit more about how you can be
0: a part of this movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Nick. We appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I encourage you, after, at the end of the service, we'll invite you to come up here if you want to talk with Nick about this opportunity. Um, it, it's great to hear about these chances and opportunities we have to be part of what God's doing in the world. And like Nick said, sometimes our response to that is worry or fear or anxiousness. The idea of running 13.1, I mean, that's, that makes me feel anxious. Um, But scripture has a lot to say to us about that this morning. I just want to start by reading Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Here's what it says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, instead, tell God about everything. Ask and pray. Give thanks to him. Then God's peace will watch over your hearts and your minds. Because you belong to Christ Jesus. God's peace can never be completely understood. Each day... We have things to worry about. Each day there are things to get stressed out by, things to raise our anxiety levels. Do you, do you ever worry? Have you ever wondered if everything's going to be okay? Have you ever worried that you don't worry more? That's really when you're in a bad loop and you start doing that. Do, do I look okay? Uh, is my health strong? Will it be strong tomorrow? Are my ideas good? Where are my kids? Where are my friends? Where am I? Uh, where is my life going? These are the questions that Consume us when we begin to worry about things. How many of you have ever had surgery at a hospital and a pastor has come and prayed with you before surgery? Anybody ever have that experience? Yeah, several of you. About 20 years ago, I had about 60% of my thyroid removed. Um, And so I was in the hospital getting ready for this surgery, and I was in that little waiting room and he got that cool little smock on, and the doctor came in to talk with me, right, to kind of walk me through what was gonna happen. And he said, Nate, I'm gonna put a little line on you where the incision is gonna be. And he grabbed a black pen and began to make a, a line, a dotted line across my neck. And he was talking to me while he was doing this and it just, it kept going and it kept going. And, and the longer he spoke and the more dots he made, my anxiety began to rise up inside of me, my worry. I was like, is he gonna take the whole head? You know I mean? like what? <laughs> this is not, I did not expect, you know, is this gonna be my scar? I was pretty freaked out. And uh, about 10 minutes later, my pastor came in to pray with me, Pastor Ted. And he he said, hey, before we pray, I'd like to read Psalm 23 um, as as you go into this. And when I was a kid, my family, we had memorized Psalm 23 around the dinner table. And so he said Psalm 23, and my mind immediately jumped in the psalm to the part where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I remember thinking, I don't want to hear about death right now. I don't want to hear about shadows or, you know, sneezes or colds. I don't want to hear about any of that. And Ted went ahead and read Psalm 23, but I was just a mess inside. I mean, I was probably calm on the outside, but I was filled with worry and stress around that. Fear and worry can rise up in our lives without any help from us. It, It just takes a thought or a call or a news story or something coming up to get us in that state where we are worried and freaked out. Anxious thoughts are not a good thing. They can steal your joy. They can affect your health. They can stifle your growth spiritually. Uh, worry, according to scripture, it's just bad. It's just not something that we need in our lives. Someone defined worry as the sin of not trusting the promises and power of God. The sin of not trusting the promises and power of God. Worry is when we push away from God and say, I'm, I'm too, I'm, this is messing me up. I'm, I'm, I'm stressed about what's going to happen. And we, we don't stay close to him. And that's what sin is all about. That's what worry looks like. So the opposite of worry then would be trust. If worry is when we step away from God, trust is when we step closer to God and say, yeah, you've got this. I mean, when you face, face a tough situation, a, a job interview or uh, a new friendship or a checkup or a test, uh, you have these choices. Am I gonna worry about this or am I gonna trust God in the midst of that? Worry asks these questions like, what, what can I do in my own strength? What do I have the ability to handle? What are the things that I can accomplish? That's where worry gets us tripped up. Trust says, what, what can God do? What is God able to accomplish in this situation? What is it that he wants to do in my life? There's a story in the Old Testament that gives us a great example of this idea of worry. And it's found in Exodus uh, chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles with you and you want to open up to Exodus 4, open up your Bible app. And it's Moses and God. Now, some of you know the story of the burning bush, where God speaks to Moses in in these flames, uh, that this bush is on fire, but it's not being burned up. And God is speaking to Moses. And he's calling Moses to take on a very difficult task. He wants him to go back to Egypt and free the Hebrew people that have been enslaved there for 400 years. He says, Moses, I want you to go and set my people free. Now Moses had some history in Egypt. In fact, about 40 years before this, he had tried to free, he kind of tried to stand up for the Hebrew people himself, the Jewish people, which he was one of. And it hadn't gone well. And he ran for his life. It had gone so poorly that he fled the country. And for 40 years, he'd been in Midian as a shepherd. And and now God says to him, "I, I want you to go back. And I want you to free the people. And I I can understand why Moses would be a little uh, anxious and worried about this, fearful and afraid. In his mind, he's probably thinking, God, I've already tried that. It didn't go so well. I'm not sure I have the strength to try again. He's got some serious doubts. So open up to Exodus chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 1, and we're going to read 1 through 5, and then I'm going to skip a little bit down to 10 through 16. And we're going to see how this story gives us an example of what worry looks like in someone's real life. Exodus 4, verse 1, Moses answered, so God has just said to him, I want you to go back and, and free my people. Moses answers, what if they do not believe me? What if your people, the Hebrew people, they don't listen to me? What if they say the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it to the ground. When Moses threw it on the ground, it became a snake, and he ran from it. Now, that just tells you where he's at kind of emotionally right now. He just runs away. I, I'm sure he had encountered snakes before as a shepherd, Possibly the staff becoming a snake freaked him out, but God is right there and he still just runs away. Verse four, then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hands. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. He says, here's how you're gonna prove to them that I've spoken. Skip down to verse 10. God says, here's another sign for you. And then Moses has something else to say in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So he's like, I haven't talked, I don't speak very well. And you're here now and I'm speaking even worse. Yeah, I'm scared to death. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please, please, just send someone else. In verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. When I read that phrase, I, I looked into it some. I, I just wish I could soften that somehow, you know, how I could say he, it, didn't, it didn't quite burn with anger. I mean, that's just an interesting translation thing. I, I wish I could say something but that's just what it says God's anger burned against Moses and we know God is slow to anger But his anger is here and, and perhaps it's from our human perspective It looks like anger and from God's perspective. It looks like something else But God loves us, but there are times when we push when we fight And then what looks like anger is what we get as a result of that God's anger burned against him And Moses, uh, against Moses, and God said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, and as if you were God to him. So God calls Moses to go and, and free the people, the Hebrew people from Egypt. And Moses' response is, well, what if? What if they don't listen to me? And you can understand his other excuses as what if statements as well. What if I don't speak well? What if you just send someone else? You know, what, what if? And once again, that we encounter these stories in Scripture that reveal to us real people with real struggles, just like we have. They, they walked this earth and encountered God in transformational ways, and they were just like us. They struggled with relationships, uh, they, they looked for ways to provide for their families. They worried about day-to-day problems. They, ar- they argued about the best barbecue in Canaan. You know, they, they had life just like we do here in Kansas. For Moses, this call to return to Egypt and confront the most powerful person in all of Europe and Africa, all the Middle East, it, it scared him. It was like God calling you or, you or me out to go to Washington, D.C. and confront the president on some policy or some program he has that we don't think is right. And, and that's what God had called Moses to do. Moses had been in the palace of Egypt before. He, he knew the pharaoh, Ramses too, at this time, most scholars believe. And, and he had encountered Ramses before. He'd grown up with him. He knew that Ramses saw himself as a demigod, as a god, that he was immortal. And, and so here's Moses. He's going to come to someone who thinks he's a god and say to him, my god says that you have to do what he tells you to do. And Moses is like, this is not going to, this is not going to go well. I can understand why he made what-if statements. I think I probably would have as well. What if? Those are the words of worry and doubt. What if? What if they don't listen to me? What if the test comes back positive? What what if I lose my job? What if the relationship heads south? These are the questions we ask when we are worried and when we are anxious. What if questions hamstring us? They they suck out our, our purpose and our passion for life. They they interfere with what God wants to do in our lives. In Luke 21, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the future. He's saying, here's some things that are going to be happening in the future. And he lists things like earthquakes and lying teachers and famines and wars. And he says that they're going to face persecution. All these fun things, he says, are coming your way. And then he says to them in Luke 21, verse 14, he says, make up your mind not to worry ahead of time. Said these things are coming. Before they get here, make up your mind, decide beforehand that you are not going to worry that you're going to do something else. Decide that you're not allow, going to allow worry to distract you or take you out of the kingdom of the work that I have for you to do. As Moses makes his what-if statements, God meets him where he is and gives him reasons why he can trust God. It starts with a miraculous sign of the staff turning into a serpent and then from a serpent back into a staff. And I like how God says to him, uh, what do you have in your hand? What's in your hand? Because I think God says that to us today as well. When we have challenges, when we worry, he says, what, do you, what have you got in your hand? I think there's things in your life right now that he's going to use to help you work through the things that make you anxious. The things that you're worried about. There are friends in your, in your world today that are going to encourage you and help you along. There's probably books that you own. That would have wisdom in them that might give you ideas of how to process the worry in your life there's habits that you have that can help you move through worry like prayer and and service and quiet and worship singing songs these things that we already do that can help us work through our worry what's in your hand at the end of exodus 4 moses uses that little Display for the people, the Hebrew people. And right at the end of the chapter, it says Moses and Aaron gathered all the elders of Israel together, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also did the miracles in the sight of the people, and they believed. They heard that the Lord was concerned about them. He had seen their suffering, so they bowed down and worshiped him. Moses sees that God is trustworthy. He sees that God says, This is what's going to happen, and then it happens. And and as we go through the rest of the story, Moses, there's so many great principles that we could talk about this morning. Leadership principles, life principles, but we see that Moses begins to trust God and to become bolder as he walks with God, to have more courage because he sees that God is faithful and good. So if if what if are, are these words of worry, what's the alternative to what if? What are some images of trust that we find in scripture that help us understand how we can live a more trust-filled life uh, here I want to turn to Daniel chapter 3 with you Daniel chapter 3 happens about 850 years after the burning bush and there's three Hebrew men and again they are before the most powerful man of his time uh, the people of God are in captivity again they'd been ca- captive in Egypt and now 800 years later they're captive in Babylon And uh, the Babylonian king is named Nebuchadnezzar, and he would invade a nation and capture the people, and he would take the best and brightest men and women, and he would bring them back to his capital in Babylon. He would train them as Babylonian leaders and get them involved in the government. That's how he would assimilate different nations into his power. And so Nebuchadnezzar has these men with him, and, and he sees all these nations and all the different gods that they worship, and he decides, I need to give them something to worship that can unify us. They can bring us all together as a country. So in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, read these words. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, I I wasn't sure how long a half marathon was. I don't even, what's a cubit? You know, like we don't use cubits to measure anymore. I had to look that one up. It's about a foot and a half. So this uh, image is about 90 feet wide, 90 feet tall. It's big. It's huge and it's covered in gold, okay? And so he gathers the people together, and here's what they're supposed to do. Daniel chapter three, verse four. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, and the flute, and the zither, and the lyre, and the harp, and the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship "...will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp..." And no pipes this time, okay. "...all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up." They fell down and worshipped, not because they thought it was a god, not because there's something in their heart compelling them. They fell down and worshipped because they didn't want to be thrown in the fiery furnace because there was a threat against them. The furnace was most likely what was used to refine all that gold used in the statue. It would have been a place, maybe like a domed structure, with little entrances all along the side, and in the middle would be a huge fire, and there'd be billows blowing into that to stoke it red hot, and then there'd be stations where metal workers could get access to the heat to purify the gold, and right in the top of that little domed structure would have been a chimney, and you didn't want to go near that chimney. You didn't want to be near that heat, That smoke, that fire, you certainly did not want to be thrown in there. Enter three young men from Israel, captives who had been trained and molded into fine Babylonian leaders. Their names, and say them if you know them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's right. They were given those names by Nebuchadnezzar. They weren't their original names. They were Babylonian names. And they were determined to honor God with their lives. So when the call went out to worship this gold statue, their minds went back to commandment number two of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And they said, there's no way we're going to worship this gold statue. This did not make Nebuchadnezzar happy, as you can imagine. So in verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve My gods, or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him King Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Bold. They start out pretty strong. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And then this final sentence, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Did you catch the phrase in that story? The opposite of what if. These three men stood before the king, again, the most powerful person in the Middle East and in Europe and in Africa at that time. They must have been afraid about what he could do to them. They could see the furnace over there, stoked hot. They must have been worried about it. They must have had all those same what-ifs, the same what-ifs I would have been asking. But they do not deny their God. They stood strong because they trusted God and they even said as much. They said, even if God does not save us, we will not bow down. Even if. Those are the words of trust. If worry is summed up what if, then trust is summed up even if. Even if this fire burns us up. Even if this conversation heads south. Even if she gets angry with me. Even if I lose my job. Even if I never recover. I will choose to do what honors God and what he's called me to do. Because I trust he will take care of me. I trust that he has my life. This even-if mindset is what moved the first-century church planner Paul to write those words we we said right at the beginning of the service. And I want to, at the beginning of the message, I want to read them again, uh, this time in the message Bible paraphrase. Here's what Paul wrote. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. And then Paul writes, it's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Those words, shape your worries into prayers, are so important. Prayer is the physical act of trust. Prayer is trust in action. And notice what Paul says there about allowing Christ to displace worry at the center center of our lives. We, we don't focus on the worry and struggle with, how do I get that out of my life? How do I worry less? That's not what Paul says we should do. He says you should allow Christ to take up residence in your life. Allow Christ to fill your, your heart and your mind so fully that worry doesn't have any place to operate. That it just displaces the worry and Christ takes up its place. So how do we get to this response when we are afraid, when we are worried, when we are anxious? How do we say even if instead of what if it's only natural as a human being to say what if that's kind of our natural state but we want to be supernatural we want to say even if so how do you begin to make that shift well it starts by increasing your knowledge of god it starts by experiencing life with god and seeing him at work around you you can think about it this way who are the people that you trust today who are the people that you share your life with, that know you, that you, you're not afraid to be who you're comfortable with and who you truly are with them? Well, they're people that you've experienced life with, right? They're people that have been with you through the highs and the lows. They're close friends or neighbors or maybe even family members who have showed up when you've had a bad day, when things have gone wrong, they have been by your side. I can think about Jeff and Sarah and Amy and Rusty back in Colorado when my life went south, when things detoured for me. They stood with me and they walked with me. I trust them. Um, I I see them as strong with me. I I trust Angela. I know that she's for me because no matter what we've been through, she has stood strong. I trust because I've seen their faithfulness in action. And the same is true for God. If we want to see our what-ifs become even-ifs, we're going to have to have experience with God's faithfulness in action. I need to know God more. I don't need to know more about God. I need to know God more. I need to experience his work in my everyday life. I need to respond when he calls me to do something and to test it out and see that he's faithful. I need to exercise my spiritual muscle and, and see what he is doing around me and join him in the work that he's about in my neighborhood, at my work, at my school. I need to experience God. And as we do that, our trust goes up. It's uh, it's like what Nick was talking about with the half marathon. There was a training exercise, right? There was a a way to train to take on that run. And, And God calls us to train ourselves in godliness and righteousness. There are training exercises that we go into. God doesn't want us to try harder to trust Him. He wants us to train harder to trust Him. To engage with experiences that help us to see that He is faithful and good. If you want to replace worry with trust, you're going to need to open your spiritual eyes and watch for God's movement in your life and in the life of others around you. Because you can observe God's movement in someone else's life and still experience God. Just like you experience it in your own life. And your trust will go up. One of the ways I've watched that in a friend of mine is they, a friend of mine has a trust box, he calls it. And when he's worried about something, he writes it down on a piece of paper And he puts that inside of a box. He calls it his worry box. And so he has that thing he's worried about. He talks to God about it and he puts it in the box and says, God, that's yours. I'm going to leave it in the worry box. You worry about it. I'm going to go ahead and and walk in trust, knowing that you've got it under control. The hard part, though, he says, is when he starts to think about it again. When he starts to worry about it again, he says he goes back to the box and he pulls it out of the box because he's taking it back. He's starting to worry, so he might as well take it out of the box again. And he looks at it and he talks to God about it again. He says, okay, why can I not let this go? What is the hook in this thing for me that keeps pulling me down? What is it that keeps causing me to worry? And he talks to God about it again. And then he folds it up. He says, God, it's yours. I'm gonna trust you with it. And he walks away and asks God to take care of it. You know, we need a worry box. We need a a trust box, you could call it. Uh, But a place to put our worries. I happen to have one here this morning. (laughs) A little worry box for us. I want to encourage you this morning to to take this on, to give it a try. So I've got a worry box here. There's going to be one out in the lobby there. What I'd like you to do is take a piece of paper. It's a scrap paper around you. You could use one of these connection cards if you want, or if you have some other spare paper, just tear off a little piece on it. And what I want you to do is just write down a word that summarizes the thing in your life this morning that you're worried about, the thing that you're anxious about just one word maybe something that only you understand nobody else is going to see this so you can just write any kind of words you want that summarizes or kind of captures that thing that you're anxious about and we're going to pray about it in a minute and then I'm going to ask you to put it into the worry box to leave it here with God to let him take it for you this morning and to believe that he cares about it that he can support it and take it from you that he can help you walk through this season of anxiousness and worry and find trust again I hear t- paper tearing, that's great. And if you're at home watching it at home, you can do this too, write it down. And when you're ready, you can pray about it. You can put it in the trash. You can, you know, put it over a candle, burn it up, however you want to do it. But uh, in this room here, we're going to use our worry box here in the back. And as, after I pray, we're going to sing a song. And if you want to, even during that song, you could come up here and stick it in the worry box if you want to. But you could also wait and do it after the service is over. And we're going to just trust that God can take these things, these things that worry us, we're going to exercise our spiritual muscle. We're going to give it over to God. And instead of saying, what if, we're going to leave this place this morning saying, even if. Even if it doesn't go the way I hoped it would go, I'm going to believe that God is good, and he is faithful, and he's got it. So let's pray together, and then we're going to worship, worship him. Let's talk to God. with Father, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you that you see everything in our life. Nothing is hidden before you, Father. We don't need to pretend like we don't worry. We don't need to pretend that we're not anxious because you already know. You see it. So Father, this thing that we're holding on to, this word, this phrase, you know it already. You know all the dynamics around it. You know how we've tried to figure it out. We've tried to make it right and Lord, just doesn't seem to be going our way. We just want to give it to you, Father. We want to move from worry to trust. We want to move from what if to even if. We know that you can handle this thing, Father. So we want to give it to you this morning. Might you take it, might you change it, might you transform our hearts, Father. And as we experience your work in our life, as we know you more, might we see your work expand in our world. Father, what would happen if all of us together as Hillcrest Church, what if what if we all started walking in trust in new and powerful ways? What kind of things could you do in our neighborhood, in our community, in our homes, where we work, where we go to school? What could you do if we would walk full of trust instead of worry? So we lay these things before you this morning. We thank you for, that you are faithful and good. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray.